Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet on the show where we talk about everything, or more specifically, I talk about everything. Not everybody who listens necessarily is talking about everything, but if you listen to this podcast, you might get some ideas for how you too can talk about everything. Welcome back. It is episode 163 of season three, 228 of the podcast more broadly. And today is Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. I just so happen to have an interview for a job. Three o'clock this afternoon, I will sit down with several members of management at my current employer, and we will discuss the prospect of me being plant manager. And I can say without reservation, without qualification, that I am quite content if the job is not offered to me and it is offered to someone else who is more qualified. I can say in all sincerity that I am quite content if they offer me the job and I have to turn it down because of particulars. I don't have a great deal of particulars. I have the general outline of what the job is from the overview on the job posting on LinkedIn. I have obviously experience working with the plant managers at my current employer, seeing what they do day in and day out for two years, at least as much as what they do is when I'm around. But dollars and cents and benefits and any other fine print items that might be uh, unknown to me, we'll see what comes of it. It might not be the best of fits for the company. It might not be the best of fits for me, but we will see what comes of it. There are several other men that are in the running who are applying and interviewing, and we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, I want to give you a little bit of an update on the last episode, Preparing Our Children to Defend Against Atheism. That was two days ago. I've had three comments in the intervening period, mostly yesterday. Yetzer Hara says, Yep, Jesus is coming back on his flying dinosaur to save the children from atheists. It's funny that Islam thinks they have the one true God, and by not believing in Allah, you are an atheist. If the religious weren't so obsessed with imposing themselves on non-believers, then most of the world's problems would disappear overnight. The existence of atheism isn't the threat. You are the threat to freedom, justice, democracy, and truth. You know, actually, Yetzer, with respect, if your claim were true, one should expect that the less religious a country is, the fewer problems that country would have. Let's look at communist countries, which have a, an avowedly atheistic governmental program. And moreover, let's look at communist countries which violently persecute religious life in the public space. Are those countries 
more problematic or less problematic? If what you were saying about most of the world's problems disappearing overnight, if if what you were saying was true, wouldn't we expect that those countries would be among the most prosperous, peaceful, happy, healthy, joyous countries on earth? Isn't that what we would expect? I say that is what we would expect. Short of being able to make it happen on a global scale, you should be able to look at what places already are less religious or more religious as a test case, as a test bed. If cities are typically less religious than rural areas, do cities have more problems or fewer problems? Do you typically find higher crime rates, higher poverty, poverty rates, more income disparity, wealth disparity in the cities or in the country? Do you typically find that people are healthier in the city or in the country? Do you typically find that people are happier in the city or in the country? All of these things you can look at within our own space. If I presume you are an American, which you might not be an American, you might be Canadian or some other thing, European of some type. But look at Europe. Is Europe more prosperous now the less and less religious it gets. And you bring up Allah. Look at Europe creating this vacuum by expunging Christianity from public life, all the while importing so-called Asiatics, who are really just Middle Easterners, Pakistanis, Muslims, to be the labor makeup. Let's import millions of Muslims into European countries. And then let's do nothing while they fail to assimilate to our culture, language, traditions, way of life, way of thinking, way of relating. Let's do nothing as they secure themselves in their enclaves. Europe becoming less and less religious has not made most of Europe's problems disappear overnight. So I'm sorry, your hypothetical has been tested in varying degrees, in diverse places, and it is false. The claim is false. Look at the Soviet Union. Was the Soviet Union a utopia? Was it a dream come true? Was it a paradise? Just because religious life was replaced, consumed, eclipsed, by communist, atheistic doctrine. No, of course not. But you mentioned that me saying the things that I'm saying, I am the threat to freedom, justice, democracy, and truth. No, no. I'm sorry, but that's just silly. That's just flat silly. I'm the threat to freedom. All the while, I am talking about how we keep our children free to worship God, keep their minds free from nonsense like Jesus is coming back on his flying dinosaur. That's mockery, by the way. For everybody who didn't catch that, of course we all did. And Jesus is coming back on his flying dinosaur to save the children from atheists. Yetzer Hara, you are obviously in the mold of 
Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is very fond of this kind of argumentum ad hominem. You're mocking theism as if your overly simplistic reduction straw man is representative of what I believe. But it's not a tactic designed to convince, persuade, enlighten. It's a tactic designed for bullying. And right there in your very first sentence, the foot you lead with is the tell. That is the giveaway that shows us exactly what sort of a world and what sort of problems we would have in the world if religion were not being so-called imposed on non-believers. If the religious weren't so obsessed with imposing themselves on non-believers, then most of the world's problems would disappear overnight. That's nonsense. That's just flat nonsense. Now, because he didn't define his terms, because he said that I'm a threat to freedom, justice, democracy, and truth by virtue of podcasting and posting to WordPress, my podcast episodes, I presumed that he was saying, I am imposing myself on non-believers to be communicating what I believe, what I think. So I commented in reply. I said, what are you doing here but imposing yourself on a believer? Two can play that game. If all that is required to say that I'm imposing on non-believers is that you encountered the GarrettAshleyMulletShow.com, well then presumably two can play that game. I encountered your comment on the GarrettAshleyMulletShow.com and I feel like you're imposing on me. Prove me wrong. Change my mind. So he replies this morning, 510 this morning, about an hour ago, I'm not imposing anything. However, using force, intimidation, authority, and malice to impose your beliefs is not ethical, especially on defenseless children. I don't know what you're referring to. Can you be more specific? Defenseless children. Are we talking about raising children? Are we talking about disciplining children? So, for instance, my children play out in the street and there's cars coming, and I tell them repeatedly no, and then because I am this selfish, mean-spirited, oppressive theist, me and all of my unjust, wicked tyranny derived from my Christianity, I think that I have some right to tell my children get inside the house right now because it's the third time I've caught you riding in the street and your little three-year-old brother is going to follow you out there. Yes, yes, I know. It's very selfish of me to say you cannot play in the street because John is following you into the street and a car coming is not going to see him popping out from between two vehicles that are parked. Yes, it's very evil that I impose my Christian beliefs using force if necessary. I go out and I grab my three-year-old son and I bring him inside the house. Intimidation. I scold 
my children, in no uncertain terms. Do not do that. I might even give a spanking. My three-year-old wanders out into the street again after we just told you, do not do that. All right, I'm going to have to give you a swat to get your attention because you're not paying attention. Authority, that's really what it's about. Using authority to impose your beliefs is not ethical. Says who? Says who? Studies have been done in which children are abandoned or their parents lose them hiking or camping or whatnot. And there's one story I remember reading in a psychology class years ago of this girl who was raised by wolves. Or at least she grew up in the wild. I'll put it that way. She wasn't raised by wolves, but that's the phrase that everybody's familiar with. So she is out there living in the wilderness for years and years. And she was not okay. Mentally, emotionally, she was not developed. She was not okay. She survived physically, but as a whole person, in a way that we would recognize, she was not all there. She was not okay. And getting her integrated into society when she was rediscovered did not happen. It did not succeed, if memory serves. But that's the role of parents is to teach, to discipline, to guide, to instruct, to care for, to protect, to provide for their children. Defenseless children. Why would my children need to defend themselves against eating their broccoli at dinner? Why would defenseless children? What are you talking about? You're talking about don't you dare impose the Christian worldview on your children. Don't teach your children to believe that God exists, etc., etc., that it's a form of child abuse. Well, with respect, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Utter nonsense. You've got a little profile picture here I see of a beaker to let us all know that you're super sciencey, but you're talking nonsense. He continues. I assume he usually it's he I don't encounter a great many female atheists, oddly enough. Isn't that interesting? Both Christian Zionists and Jewish Zionists impose their beliefs violently on the non-believer Palestinians. Au contraire, by the way. Palestinians who are remaining in place after, what, how many years? 60 years at this point? 80 years? Palestinians remaining in place are typically Muslims. Typically. Not always. You can have Palestinian Christians, Palestinian atheists, but typically Palestinians are Muslims. And imposing beliefs violently on non-believer Palestinians, actually, the story is not that. The story is that you have a Jewish state, the only Jewish state in the world. You have plenty of Muslim countries across the world, which were taken by force. But you have one Jewish state, one Jewish homeland, one country for the Jews. And it's not all that great and big, but it is great in the sense that you have a lot of innovation and creativity and intelligence, which has gone into making that country prosperous and strong and capable of defending itself. 
against much larger and surrounding countries of angry Muslims who don't think that Israel has any right to exist whatsoever and who think that they, as Muslims, have a mandate from Allah to retake what previously was land occupied, governed by Muslims. So your claim that Christian Zionists and Jewish Zionists, a.k.a. the United States of America and Israel, impose their beliefs violently, well, yes, yes, that's, that's correct in a certain sense. You're right. We happen to believe that terrorism is wrong, that firing rockets indiscriminately into cities full of men, women, and children, civilians, from hospitals, from schools, is evil and wrong, and that it must stop. We happen to believe that communities which permit such, which encourage such, which insist upon such, forfeit their own right to peace and security by destroying and threatening to destroy the peace and security of their neighboring communities. What is a country to do when its neighbor insists upon receiving funds and weapons from Iran and firing rockets indiscriminately at cities full of men, women, and children to kill them, to terrorize the country, to provoke a response Israel retaliates and takes out those missile launch sites with violence. Yes, because of belief. Yes, we believe that you shouldn't do that. And we're right. Get over it. But you spin this in a way which tells me you get your news from anti-Semitic sources, from mainstream sources, which would far in a way prefer pandering to Muslims, it's a very old idea that you're communicating, not a new, sophisticated, cosmopolitan idea. Blame the victim. Blame the Jews and insist that the Jews must be the villains if they are winning. If they are winning, they must be the bad guys. Why do you suppose that? Because you're consistently against good and evil fighting, and good winning. Because your deeds are dark. You love the darkness because your deeds are dark. You're wise in your own eyes. You think yourself very smart. And you think that if you can be smart enough, then the bad things that you do, your own corruption of soul, will win. Will carry the day. The rest of your comment reads, Yetzer. Muslims impose their laws on authors of books, like Salman Rushdie and comics Charlie Hebdo on non-believers in bloody acts of terrorism. The U.S. government, with military bases all over the world, actively imposes its so-called values on unwilling foreign countries. That's what impose means. Posting a comment isn't imposing anything on anyone. It's free speech. Okay. So why did you say... The religious being obsessed with imposing themselves on non-believers is the source of most of the world's problems and that I am a threat to freedom, justice, democracy, and truth. You can't have it both ways. This is a double standard here. You have one standard for me, which is very harsh and severe, that my communicating 
my beliefs about what is true and what is good is imposing on non-believers. But for yourself, you give a pass when you are saying what you believe is true and what is good and what is not true and what is not good. That's just free speech. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I see. Okay. 10-4. So you are permitted to speak and I am not. What was that you were saying about evil and ethics? Step one to being ethical. Don't have double standards. Don't be a hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite. Next. Club Schadenfreude commented also yesterday. If you teach your children to accept that killing children is okay, then you've already lost the contest. Um, okay. My response, my reply, by all means, go on. Please, elaborate. What are you talking about? I would guess that you are not talking about abortion. I would just hazard that. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You're probably not talking about abortion. And I'm curious, Club Schadenfreude, with a snow leopard as your profile picture. I'm curious whether you are pro-life or pro-choice. I'm curious, really curious. I hope you reply so that we can explore that together. But I'll bet what Club Schadenfreude is talking about here is in the Old Testament where Allowance is made if a son is rebellious and stiff-necked and refuses to listen to his parents, refuses to listen to his mother and his father, disobedient, disrespectful, out of control. That child's parents can take that child in front of the elders of the city and explain, we can't get a handle on our son. He's rebellious, stiff-necked, disobedient disrespectful and it can result that meeting that airing of grievances can result in the stoning of that child now i've heard dennis prager explain this one and i thought his explanation was actually very very interesting because he called into question how often this was actually a thing just because it's in the law does not mean that you had children being murdered left and right in ancient Israel. That's not the point. And Prager doesn't go here, but I'll go here, inspired in part by his answer. Look at the woman caught in adultery in the Gospels. The enemies of Jesus, in a desire to trap him and make him look foolish publicly, much the same way that atheists like to do, asking entrapping questions, trying to create a scenario in which the folks they feel threatened by are made to look foolish in front of everyone. They bring a woman who was allegedly caught in flagrante doing the deed. They bring this woman to Jesus and they ask Jesus publicly, should this woman be stoned? Should this woman be put to death for committing adultery? And Jesus' response is, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Everyone present who was getting ready, getting ready to have this woman stoned or to see Jesus trapped because the Jews were not supposed to be putting anyone to death under Roman occupation. That 
power over capital punishment, life and death and all of that was supposed to be the purview of the Romans and the Jews. That's why they had to take Jesus to Pontius Pilate. They weren't permitted to just go around putting anybody to death that they felt like. They had to bring charges in a Roman court. But everyone who was preparing to stone this woman or else see Jesus carted off or else see Jesus and his disciples stone this woman all of a sudden is feeling very self-conscious because they realize, hey, wait a second, I am a sinner. And Jesus asks the woman, who is there to condemn you? She says, no one, because everybody's apparently given up on punishing her, lost in reflection on their own sinfulness now. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now, Prager, as memory serves, because it's been a couple of years, Prager posits the question, what happens when a set of parents say, our child is out of control, they take him to the elders of the city, the city council, he needs to be put to death, can't do anything with him. If the parents are actually the ones out of control, which is very often the case with kids that are out of control, not always, with kids that are just completely bonkers, like totally wild, no respect whatsoever, no limits, no boundaries at all whatsoever. Usually it is that the parents are just not paying close attention or they're paying too much attention. This child feels like they're in a straitjacket because they can't do anything without being corrected. And so they're acting out because they are just extremely frustrated with their overly controlling mother and or father. But as Prager puts it, you could have a scenario in which these parents take their child to be put to death, really. And they're not just, they don't get the right to just go and execute judgment themselves. They're supposed to take their child to the elders of the city. And then those elders weigh in on this. And lo and behold, what do you think might happen when there's more than just the command in the Old Testament to obey your parents? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the command with the promise that your days in the land may be long. There's also a follow-up to the command, children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. In other words, as parents... We have a responsibility to not be exasperating our children needlessly. If we love our children, we're not going to get on their nerves just because we're in a position of power over them and they're not going anywhere. That's sadistic. That's cruel. And you might get, if you have a parent who is parenting that way in a sadistic, cruel, capricious, uncaring way, you might get a child who is out of control because the way that they're being disciplined is not discipline. It's cruelty. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't follow a a logical pattern that they can understand or perceive or adhere to to be prospering. And so as Prager puts forward, you could have parents bringing their child to be put to death under this Old Testament law and then have the elders of the city 
who've been watching from the sidelines for quite some time weighing in to say, you know what, actually, before we do that, before we go stoning your child, have you tried this, 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 and this? Let's give you some parenting advice first. Let's try this, 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 and this. Maybe the problem's not your child first and foremost. Maybe the problem is the way you're parenting your child. You're not correcting your child, and you're not correcting them consistently, and you're not teaching them. You're not instructing them. You're not raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But besides that, let's suppose all of that is happening, but you have a wicked child who is willful, stubborn. Some children, when they are really out of control and the devil really gets a hold of them, can do awful, evil, horrible, heinous things. We've all seen, if we've paid attention to the news, headlines over the gears where two or three older children get a hold of some younger child and they torture and murder that younger child. What do you do then? In our system, there's an age of accountability mechanism in our legal code. So you don't go putting to death some 11, 12-year-old who kidnapped, tortured, and murdered a younger child. But why? What are the presumptions that we have that go into that equation. I'm not saying it's a pleasant thought, but what do you do? Where Where is that child's life going? And who are we to say, if God says that someone who commits murder is to be put to death, or it's headed there, it's headed there with even a child, or what we would consider a child, but they're well on their way to young adulthood. It's more complicated than you're giving credit for Club Schadenfreude. It's far more complicated. And again, between the two of us, I know that I at least do not teach my children that it's acceptable to kill children. But I would say, God sets the standard. He is not subject to the standard. You don't set the standard. I don't set the standard. God sets the standard. He is the source for the standard of what is and is not okay. You say, if such and such, then you've lost the contest. Au contraire, Mesami. You lose the contest when God decides whether you lost the contest. Not whether Club Schadenfreude and a snow leopard says you've won or you lost. One last comment. Archon's Den. By definition, atheists do not believe in the existence of God. They would hardly sit around debating whether or not he was right Yes, I think you're being tongue-in-cheek there. And I think you are of the same mindset I am on that question. One would certainly think, but my experience has been surprising in that regard. You would not expect atheists to argue whether God is a villain or a hero. Although I suppose their counterpoint would be, They don't believe that God exists, but they do believe that what theists believe about God has a major impact on whether theists are good people, decent people, pleasant people, or oppressive, villainous. So they're disputing the character of God in their minds could be just a roundabout way, an indirect way of attacking the character of the theists, Christians specifically more often than not. But I got to leave it there. This has been a very interesting 
uh, trip down memory lane, I would say. Two out of those three commenters reminded me very much of the type of debate. If you want to see the type of online debate that I used to have with, uh, I think his name was Rob Newell, and the other guy, his friend, was kind of like the Batman and Robin team. Robin Newell was, uh, I'm sorry, not Robin, Rob. Rob Newell was kind of the lead instigator in those debates. And then John Stahl, I believe, was, um, he was kind of the, the uh, sidekick personality in that scenario. But we used to go the rounds years and years ago for years and years. And it was kind of like this. But I got to run. I need to go to work. Like I said, I've got an interview this afternoon. I've got some work to do. Contractors on site this morning who I need to help coordinate with, facilitate. But as always, thank you for listening. JP, again, thank you for the topic on atheism. I'll open it up to everybody. If you have a question for this podcast, send it my way. Uh, Something that not really anybody thus far has utilized, but I would love to see utilized because I think it would be fun to be able to play the audio clip in the episode as a way of introducing the question. But you can send an audio clip via Anchor. If you follow the Anchor link that is in each one of the podcast episodes, you can send an audio message to the podcast and then if I incorporate your question or comment into an episode, I can pull it up right there. It's just right there already in the database. I can add it to the episode and then cut and splice around it. So somebody make use of that. We'll try it out. We'll give it a go. And uh, we'll do a, a, a podcast episode around it if it's good stuff. But I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.